What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my fantabulistic, equally thermonuclear AF co-host, Grant Hughes. Before we hop into Hot or Not 2.0, please remember to subscribe to us wherever you're consuming us. If you're checking us out on YouTube, hit that like button, um, subscribe, more importantly, comment, help the algorithm love us back a little bit. Um, also, subscribe to us wherever you get your audio podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, Google, and Cross Sub, both platforms. So YouTube plus a podcast player, download every episode, that helps out a ton. If you've done both those things, please consider recommending us to people. You can shout us out on Twitter. We got one today. I retweeted it. Very kind. Um, tell people about us. Word of mouth that they should check us out. And this seriously unserious NBA community that we are trying to build. And speaking of which, join our Discord because Grant is in there and he has said stuff. He's not just in there lurking. He has said stuff. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description. And finally, follow all of our socials. Those are on screen on YouTube or they're in the podcast and YouTube descriptions as well. Very quickly, though, at Hardwood Knox on Twitter and TikTok, at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Um, I, I, I'm glad I get to ask you this one. Um, this is from Rome8180, uh, who also gave us the Hornets depressing franchise question. Uh, Tim Connolly is a bad GM. Uh he made the terrible go bear trade right when he got to the wolves, he made a mess of the nuggets payroll before he left there. I'd say all three of Murray Gordon and Porter's contracts are really bad. So is Tim Con hot or not? Tim Connolly's a bad general manager slash executive or whatever his actual title is now. There's a discussion to be had about this. I want, I want to make that clear. The, the way that the nuggets operated under him, where it was very much take care of their own guys, even when their own guys aren't these mega stars like Nicole Jokic, but I think there's value in that operating in a market like Denver. I also do not view the Jamal Murray contract as a bad one. And like, you can't predict ACL injuries. Now, if you want to get into the Michael Porter jr. Stuff, I think that had he hit the open market that year, there would have been similar, not the fifth year, of course, but there would have been similar offers available. I don't think the Aaron Gordon contract is bad at all. I'm, I'm fine with it. And he's been good for much, uh, not even good, like bordering on great for much of this season. Now, do you fault him for going the, I don't want to compare him to Neil O'Shea, who seems like a pretty bad human being, but like, do you fault him for not really ever going the home run route where it's like, well, we acquired Aaron Gordon um, and we took a swing on Michael Porter, but he took swings on Michael Porter Jr. And like, what were you going to, what star were you going to consolidate into? And Bones Highland, great find. Zeke Naji, that was still a pretty good find overall. So I don't think he's been a bad executive, but there's a discussion we had about the way the Nuggets operated under him and how eminently dispensable he seemed. But is that ownership? We talked about this. Is that the Cronkies cheaping out because they don't want to pay execs? We saw it with Masai Ujiri before him. Now, if you want to have a conversation about what he's done in Minnesota, where it's, hey, if you wanted to test out this model, could you have not traded for Miles Turner instead of giving up your entire future for Rudy Gobert? That's, that's a fair discussion. But to say he's bad... I think that's a little too hot for me right now. And I don't know if you saw the, uh, the discord like conspiracy theory discussion on it. I, I did. I did uh, see some of that. Um, did, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could support or uh, endorse or buy into uh, some of that. So we'll leave wanna, that, you you rehash rehash or... check out the conspiracy discussion on why Tim Connolly traded for Rudy Gobert. It ranged from, for the cliff notes of it was just a way to prove that he could get rid of Carl Anthony towns, which would be yeah. 
that would be wild to me because you extended Carl Anthony Towns. Mm-hmm. That would just be a wild way to operate. But that is that's the teaser. There's another layer to it. So go join our Discord and check yeah. it out. It's Get more of a story. It's a little too hot for me, and it might a be a too, lot too hot for me. Yeah. So I I defended, or at least was like neutral to this is a not the worst idea I've ever seen on the Gobert trade. I'm probably going to need to walk that back, although it is still early. I, you know, this could work out. It seems less likely than it used to. Um, I wonder too if like if that was a deal that you know the the Wolves are going to be under new you know A Rod and whoever else are the new owners of that team and you could imagine some push from new owners to be like let's like cannonball into the pool real quick and see and let's like really do something that's I don't know that that's the case that's kind of like making an excuse but like how do you judge the quality of an executive we don't like there's we. When we judge coaches, we always concede, like, we don't know 90% of what they do. Executives might be even harder to judge. So it's like, did the team win a lot? And did guys seem to like being there are kind of your metrics? Because a lot of what you judge an executive on, like talent evaluation, how robust is your player development staff? Do you make good trades? Do you, like, all that kind of wraps into it. And the Nuggets, so Conley was there for nine years. They made the playoffs in the last five. They made a conference finals. They won a playoff series each of those last five years, except last year when everybody was hurt and they ran into the Warriors in the first round who won the title. Um, so like, and, you know, I guess you you give them credit for Jokic, although it's hard because every, it was almost throwing a dart at that point because everybody had a shot at him. And, you know, I'm sh- I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine the Nuggets had a pick before they got him in the second round that they did not use on him. So, you know, I don't know, but to me, like just the basics of what you want from an executive are a bunch of wins, like, you know, some, you don't mortgage the future, which looks bad for Minnesota, but the Nuggets have been a good team. They got a guy who won two MVPs. Not all those contracts are that bad. Maybe only Porter is. So I can't, it's too hot. I can't get there. If all you knew of him was he traded a zillion picks for Rudy Gobert, then like not hot at all. Which we both, fully supported by the way i know i was i thought it was like yeah i get it <laughs> you can justify this so i don't know all right i'll do uh, since we both have quick hitters let me let's do this one the hot or not the raptors and this was inspired actually by a listener on youtube uh super sauce super sauce however it's pronounced uh the raptors are stealth candidates to tear it down this season that is too hot for me because I don't even know what that would look like. It would be real stealth. Like it would be silent. Um, does that mean, so that means tearing it down to means Siakam, Ananobi, basically everybody, but Barnes. Van I think everyone brought Barnes and Ananobi at this point. I would probably throw Ananobi into the not going anywhere, but I will say too hot for me because I still believe in the Raptors. Yeah. That being said, with Gary Trent Jr. going to free agency, Fred Van Fleet going to free agency, Pascal Siakam, next contract coming up, OG Ananobi going to be extension eligible this summer as well. You're getting to the point where you really have to double down on this roster. Would it be completely shocking to see Masai Ujiri pivot the other way? Because do you want to lock yourself into this expensive core that maybe isn't good enough to reach the next level of title contention? Here's the thing that they need. And there, are, I know there are some Raptors fans who still deny it, they need another just spacier half court initiator. And like their offense without Siakam or when Fred Van Fleet's in the slump that he is currently in, it is a caps lock slog. 
and yeah. it can be tough to watch. And even if it gets you through the regular season, which at the moment, you know, right now it's not like since the middle of November, uh, they've been among the least efficient offensive teams in the league. So, you know, 22nd in point scored per possession over their past 12 games. If, if you're not going to go out and then it's, so there are three, two things. It's either you believe Scotty Barnes is going to be that guy. And I thought at the beginning of this year that everything was happening so much faster for him. The perimeter shooting got a little bit better from three, but like nothing else about him is really improved. But unless you believe Scotty Barnes is going to be that guy, you're maybe you're not at the point, but then you need to give real consideration. Well, then we need to go out and get that guy because we're going to be too good to draft him at this point. Someone who can really level up our half court offense. Um, who's going to take, you know, even if Pascal Siakam makes pull-up threes more of his arsenal, like those aren't necessarily shots he's looking to get to. They're not happening at this super high processing speed. And I think that the Raptors, I wouldn't blow it up from the Raptors. I'd go out and try and find that guy who can uh, level up, evolve the the half-court offense. But when you start to look at the contract situations and how many of these guys they have to pay over the next two years, it's not... It's not as hot as I thought it was when I gave it some real thought. Yeah, I guess it's still too hot for me just because I would be fine paying Siakam and Ananobi, whatever the market says they're worth and having those two in Barnes. And like, so are you blowing it up if that means Gary Trent Jr. And and like you said, he was a free agent and and Van Vliet aren't back. That's not that's not quite blowing it up to me. Um, We agree on, on the Raptors. They just need someone that can you know, bend the defense by getting into the middle of it. So all these other like guys that are sort of okay at, you know, generating advantages and being shot creators don't have to be like doing it all the time. You know, Barnes, Barnes shouldn't be saddled with that burden for this franchise. He should be, it should be a luxury that he can sort of do that or will be able to sort of do that. Um, I'll give you one of my quick hitter hot or nots. James Harden and Joel Embiid will never make a conference finals together. That's not too hot because you might as well play the field at this point. And I was pretty high on Philly entering the season. I think I might've had them. I'll have to go back and look. I definitely had them in the top four of the East, but I might've had them even higher than that. That's not too hot though. I mean, how do you improve this roster? And it's also, if this is James Harden's one game back from his injuries, I want to, I want to pump the brakes there. But like if James Harden is materially worse than he was when the Nets first acquired him, let's say. How do you, like, what do you have to do then to improve the roster enough so that you are a title contender? I just, I'm interested to see more of it at full strength and maybe with this version of Tobias Harris sprinkled in, but I don't think that's too hot. I mean, you're looking at, consider who else is in the East. The what Cavs if I said will not get out of the first round? Oh, that's yeah. what they're saying. They said semifinal. No, what, what if I said? What if I down? What if I'm trying to get it to be to, to, so, to the requisite level of hotness? They don't win a second. Like they do not appear in the second round together. I think that's too hot, but like it wouldn't shock me if I predicted this and it was off the cuff. It was a last minute question that came in on last week's mailbag. Was uh, the third mailbag because we did so many of them, so we had so many questions. Who's the next superstar that's going to demand a trade? And I just said Joel Embiid. So I'm trying to think of top 10 players that might, and that's, that would be the pathway to your take, not being Hmm. too hot. If they're together for the next two seasons, I'm going to say that's too hot. But like if they, I could see them getting bounced in the first round this year. And if Joel Embiid is just like, I'm done or just the Sixers decide to blow it up from there. So I'm going to say that's not too hot. I think it, I think the first round one skews a little bit towards too hot, but it's, 
it's got a it's got a pleasant heat. It's not overly spicy. You've got extra outs. The problem is this is Daryl Morey is running this team, and he just like superstars are all he cares about. So it's going to be hard for him. And they, you know, there's clearly some kind of agreement with him and James Harden that they're just going to go down together. Uh, but yeah, I think the Embiid the Embiid trade request is is like it's a little hot, but we're not that far from it being. You know, he's on the short list of guys that are going to be like, I'm done with this. I can't. I, I got to do something different. Let me throw you one of my quick hitters. Uh, Zion Williamson has entered the MVP discussion. And by that, I'll say, if you did a ladder right now, he would be in your top 10. I know it's only a five-player ballot, but first of all, this year's MVP race so far, my God, we might be shaping up for... And maybe this is all futile, talking about Devin Booker and Zion Williamson and Kevin Durant and Jokic. And, you know, maybe it's just Steph or, or Luka or Tatum, but... Is Zion Williamson on that top 10 MVP ladder right now? So I would I would like to take this opportunity to uh, admit that last week when we talked, I was a little skeptical of the Pelicans. And you have been staunch in your lack of Pelican skepticism. And having watched two and a half of their games since we talked, um, I'm kind of I'm kind of in now. I, I need to walk back my my the questions I had, which were essentially, are they good enough defensively? And are how do they really know what role Zion needs to play and what the sort of trickle-down effects are? Opponent shooting has been kind of unsustainably unlucky. I think they're at 30, 38 and a half. Or I can't remember what the stat is, but like the Pelicans are what, third defensively? That's a little, that's not going to last, they're, but they're not going to be 20th. I don't They're think. first over their last 12 games, by that's, the way. Right. They have the best defense in the league. That I don't buy totally um, or at all for being third uh, and first over that stretch, but I think they're going to be fine. And then Zion, it's like, there's no question. You, you were on it. I had, I wasn't sure he needs to be on the ball and you figure everything else out around that because like he's developing like week to week as, as like a decision maker. Um, and his defense, I think it, the, the best part about this defensive run is that he like is working hard and, and like is not falling asleep off the ball as much. And so the film just looks way better. So I'm walking that back. Um, and so that's all to say that, like, yeah, I think at this point, I mean, the Pelicans have the second best net rating in the league right now, according to cleaning the glass. They're 15 and eight top six in you know offense and defense because they're sixth on offense and like if anything when they get ingram back full time like that can move up so if the team is that good and i think most would agree that zion is the guy driving at least the offense like yeah that's a top 10 mvp candidate at minimum right i i mean that's just that's just where we are now the names get crowded because there's luca that's there's the problem Tatum, there's steph there's shay who belongs yeah. in this discussion as well there's Jokic, there's Giannis, there's Devin Booker, there's Kevin Durant. Like, those are eight names I think you have to mention. I left Kevin Durant off my last top ten. I just, I feel like the Nets probably just killed my soul a little bit, and they're just so inconsistent defensively, including Kevin Durant there. But, like, so that feels like eight givens, and I might have even left off an obvious candidate there. But I would say, I would echo what you said, that I think Zion Williamson has entered that top ten radius. I don't know where he is in relation. Like, I'm not putting him ahead of Steph, Luka, or Tatum at this point. I don't like, has he gotten to the point where he started thinking about, well, is he like better than the Shea case? Is he better than the, you know, the, the Kevin Durant like case of, Oh, he's like, we're just going to throw him seven here. Uh, the defensive improvement matters a bunch. Yep. And I think, and this might've been like the better hot or not. 
is are the New Orleans Pelicans like this year's Boston Celtics to where such different teams, but the Celtics, no one, even when they were playing well, no one bought into them, but they looked inward and they said, we're going to make a trade for Derek White. And that helped push them over the top to get to the NBA finals. The Pelicans feel like that team this year where everyone thinks they're up and coming. They're pleasant. They're cutesy. They're quaint, but like they might be one Derek White level trade away from being a finals team. By that, I mean, Derek White is not the player they need. Although I guess if he's going to shoot 45% from three, they would take Derek White. They can make a non-star trade. That's sort of one. Also, their depth is sometimes a problem to me, by the way. But they could make a non-star trade and be a finals team. And like, I would say, Miles Turner, I've been banging that drum for years now. And I'm not taking credit for it. I still think it would work. There are a lot of Pelicans fans who are mad at me for saying that I don't think Valanchunas is um, mission critical. They said, well, that's CJ McCollum. And I think you get rid of CJ McCollum, like you might sort of simplify the offense a little bit more. The two things I maintain is one, he's going to become more valuable for you in the playoffs. That is just, I fully believe that. And two, getting rid of CJ McCollum doesn't change the best way to optimize your defense with Zion as good as he's gotten, as good as the Pelicans defense has been. And you did point out they're getting lucky on opponent three-point shooting. Opponents are under 33% during this stretch where they're the best defense in the league. They're also getting torched at the rim, though. So, and that's a little bit of an indictment on Zion when he's your primary rim protector, but it's just reads. His help has gotten a lot better this season, too. And opponents are only shooting only about 60% of the rim against him during this stretch. So, I think he's an MVP candidate, and I don't think it's too hot to say that the New Orleans Pelicans are this year's Boston Celtics. In that, again, the teams are so different, but they are a minor to middling move away from needing to be taken seriously as a finals threat. I think I think you, I take your point. I think you're right about well, a couple of things. Consolidation trade seems pretty like logical, and, and that they may be one guy away because they've got like three or four that all deserve to play. That you know maybe it's better if you turn that into one or two guys. The other thing is like you know they could aim higher than that. Not you know we don't know who's out there, but like they've got the Lakers draft control. You know they've got they have just like real options and real salary and Valanciunas like, sorry, Pelicans fans, Valanciunas is the guy that you're going to include in a move. I think uh, to get, to get some salary. It could be CJ if he was trade eligible, maybe they'd be more open to it, but like he's not trade eligible. And I, I, I just, I need to see it. it. First of all, and you've dealt with enough injuries to both Zion and Ingram that I don't know that you could look at as what CJ does and say, okay, well, that's just, we have a surplus of this. Like, we don't need more of the shot. Like, I, and I get he hasn't had the best season, but you've dealt with enough injury history. So forget about being full strength. Just to have him is just like, okay, well, we know we're probably going to have two guys who can generate offense for themselves and others. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think that's right. I, I mean, if, if honestly, if they could just get like, if they could get, if you could clone Derek White, it's like now you have Derek White. That, that works great for me. Let's just do that again. Um, Dyson okay, Daniels wanna, is like kind of that type of player. So I think, well, I said, I'm just rehashing last, like, I think he is. So he is a guy that has a chance to really matter for them. Maybe not this year, but just, he fits he. I mean, maybe this year. Um, that's why you don't aim higher though, by the way, is because like, why would you, if you aim higher, you're talking about getting rid of, I would say a picks. Yeah. And mm-hmm. salary fill or whatever, but like then you're starting to talk about well, Trey Murphy or and or Dyson Daniels are in the aim higher move. I'm Without keeping both of them. Available. If it's Kevin Durant, I'm giving up one of them. I'm sure I'm giving up one of them. But like failing that, if that's the bar we're gonna hold, I'm if it's a I'm trying to think of another name here for them. Kelly Olinick, like I think, and that was someone one of our YouTubers actually brought up a Kelly Olinick. I didn't consider him initially. Like you get a Kelly Olinick, what if you traded 
he's been, and I don't know if a lot of people have noticed how good he's been on defense and also is sort of just like a help defender. Mm-hmm. You put Kyle Kuzma on this yeah. team. Like, I like that's the level of move I'm talking about. And I'm just, I don't think it's too hot to say that. I'm happy that you're coming around on the, my, my, my Pelicans incandescence. Cause it was getting lonely out here with regard it, to this podcast. It was a straight up, uh, just I just needed to watch him more, and then it was clear. Like yeah, I, I caught him, I caught some good games, but the, the eye test did it. Can I? And this is easier for me to do because it's not complimenting myself. You are never going to hear like another national NBA podcast just like cop to what you just did. We have this conversation in Discord where there, and I think it's born from insecurity, and I get it too, where you want to know as much as possible. And you're supposed to be an expert, but sometimes you just you don't know shit, and it's just I I thought the Timberwolves were going to be like a dominant regular season team. I don't know yeah, what the fuck I'm talking about. Clearly. Well, we're wrong all the time. Like, just change your change. I, that's why I'll never do a real victory lap. I will never like, like I'll make a joke about it. I'll never. I'm wrong so much that what's the point of a victory lap? I think all of it, all of it succeeds to do is point out how rare it is that you're correct. Well, I'm not. If Jonathan Kaminga uh, develops on my certainty that he'd become a more athletic Paul George, I will do the mother of all victory laps. <laughs> it's going to be a victory marathon. I will never shut up about it. But I'm um, wrong so far about that. That trajectory feels like it might be a little bit on life support. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. He's been a lot better lately. Yeah. Uh, he's a role player right now. And like Paul George. Paul George is a little, little bit better than that, right? A little bit, a little bit, a little bit. Well, Paul George is still a role player, Dan. It's just he's a, he's <laughs> he a 1B on a title role. contender, theoretically. That's a role. Um, um, but I'm glad you came around on the Pelican. So that's not too hot then no not too hot i want to throw this one to you because you gave it to me to throw to you and we're just going to be fully transparent because i want to know what you're going to say uh hot or not okc won the uzman jang trade yeah they want it how niche are we getting (laughs) they Um, want it that's it because three conditional first round picks they have we talked about this in the discord it's actually a question for the next mailbag we do does okc have too many picks the answer is fucking yeah you can get to a point where you have too many picks they give up three conditional first rounders that oh hey the knicks didn't fucking use when they went to trade for a star and now Usman Jang, and you can make a case like, well, Jalen Williams was still on the board too. And so the Knicks could have used someone like him, but Usman Jang, and I'm only highlighting him because he started, he was inactive for, I think it was like, it was a bunch of games started playing mm-hmm. the last five or so. And I noticed it. I can't remember. I was, Oh yeah. So I saw him playing against um, the, the Hawks and I was just like, Oh, like this has become a thing. So I went back and watched more of him. There's a feel more of a feel there. He's quietly hitting. I don't know if this is Chip England at work here but he's at like over this very small sample we're talking about like 10 attempts he's shooting uh, over his past four games eight attempts 62.5 percent from three and it looks it's slow but it doesn't look jagged and the way that he moves without the ball whether he's in transition or the half court there's also some directionality to him being on the ball and he's just going to be able to be plugged and played maybe anywhere on defense and this is someone who I, I said this to you before we started. I might have said it in more of a crude way. He runs counter, I feel like, to the typical wing projects that they have because there's more feel there and it's less about the nuclear explosion or detonation of how he's going to play. And there's more nuance to it. And now I'm looking at this and I'm like, it's so crowded in OKC. But to have that prospect mm-hmm. on the Knicks right now would just be fucking cool. And so maybe this is my homerdom coming out they absolutely want that they have three conditional first round picks look at those teams right now do you know how many of those first round picks are projected to convey this season one? Zero. Zero. okay so i mean i guess depending on how you feel about washington will they be a lotto team but they probably will be so 
They won the Usman Jang trade. There's a real basketball player there. And if he's going to mm-hmm. shoot ultra wide open threes, even in a 38% clip with the processing speed he has right now, my God. So I, this might actually constitute a premature victory lap because I, Jang was the player I wanted the Knicks to take. Mm. They're never a player. I want to be clear. They never would have taken him. If they kept that pick, Jang would not have been the pick. That's just not what they do. But they won, they won the Usman Jang trade. I'm calling it now. I think, I think it's fair to say that's too hot, but I'm calling it. They won it. <laughs> Uh, you got is there, is, are there any that you really want to get to? There's a couple that I want to make sure we hit. Um, do you want to do, do you want me to pose you the Kings one or you want to throw the Kings one at me? I want to do a longer one. Uh, I'll, I'll throw it to you. Cause I want to, cause a little, little hint, like I'm throwing it to you just so I can answer after you. Uh, but so this is from Rome 8180 again. Uh, why do advanced stats seem to suggest Evan Mobley is bad? I know there's something wonky going on with Cleveland's on-offs, which we alluded to earlier, um, but some of the advanced metrics like Raptor don't like him either. Uh, also, he's made has he made any substantive improvements in, since his first season? And the gist of it is like when confronted with, well, why do you think Evan Mobley is good? Sometimes all you have is the, well, just watch him, uh, you know, counter, which there are worse counters like saying, well, his fantasy stats are X, Y, and Z in an argument about who's good or not. But just, you know, saying watch the games is kind of is like, the shit that we hate to hear sometimes from, from critics. So um, make the Evan Mobley case. Has he gotten better? Why do advanced numbers not like him? And like, is he actually as good as advertised? And if so, like why and how is, is sort of what I feel like this question boils down to So if the hot or not framing needs to be in place, it's like, well, basically Evan Mobley is not good because advanced stats say that he's not good. I mean, it's too hot. I don't want to answer because I want you to answer. But I will say, I do think part of it is when you're going to spend so much time playing with another big and then two higher usage guards, that might artificially repress a lot of your advanced metrics to where just like, okay, if Evan Mobley, when he's the lone big, like, you know, his defensive rebounding rate, I would think is going to be higher than 21. Um, I think you're going to see someone who is like, and even I was shocked at how high his block rate is given that he's not spending like a crap ton of time around the basket. He's still a really good rim protector. Opponents are shooting under 52% there. If I could answer the one thing I would say is how has he gotten better? There is like a dynamic to his offense where it's not yet efficient. And I'm not saying go watch the games, but you can even see the tick up when you're looking at just like the fadeaway jumpers, the hook shots, he's shooting 47% on hook shots. Like this is just year two trying to figure out a different environment. So I do think he has broadened his offensive horizons. I don't know that I have a good explanation for the advanced metrics, which I have not, I have not looked at the catch-alls yet. I normally don't start because not all of them is released, by the way. I don't really start looking at catch-alls to like the midway point. Yeah, I think first of all, like I will concede that he very much is an eye test guy. Like if you watch enough basketball and you see enough guys his size, it just leaps off the screen. Like there's guys don't move like him. Guys don't process at the same speed guys don't, you know, they don't, they don't make the split second reactions as quickly as he does. Like that's for sure. That's all I test stuff. Um, the advancement, I, you know, his, he's in a relatively small role. Like he's not being asked to do a ton yet. So yeah, that's going to hurt the, you know, your, your, whatever advanced metric you want to use. Like some, they have different inputs all over the place. So you gotta do is usage has to be part of that too. Just like it's low, his usage rate is lower than it was last season. Right, right. That's the thing. Like now he's you got a high usage guard that just showed up on your doorstep in Donovan Mitchell. Like that's gonna take some food off of other guys' plates. I think you can get there if you want to, and maybe this is just cherry picking. 
but find the advanced stat that there are, it's not like they don't exist. Like when I looked, he leads the league in defensive win shares. Now win shares are kind of a problematic stat and there are a lot of things that have overtaken them. But if you lead the league in something over a large sample and it's like a big one like that, that's not nothing. The other thing that really stood out to me is like, just don't worry about the counting numbers and the the fantasy stats and whatever else, like look at the rate stats and look at how much he's playing. So here's let's thin slice it. There are three guys right now that are in rotations, you know, that are playing significant minutes that have a 59% true shooting percentage, which like 60 is holy shit. You're great. He's over 59, a 15% rebound rate, 11% assist rate, 4% block rate. Two of those are Joel Embiid and Anthony Davis. The other one is Evan Mobley. So like take that to your friend that says Evan Mobley doesn't like rate well statistically. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, now he's not asked to do as much as those guys. So yeah, if he had to shoot 20 times a game, the true shooting percentage might be lower. Everything else is legit. So I think he's ultimately an eye test guy, but you can find the numbers that if you, if you want to, that, that will corroborate that he's good. And the true shooting percentage specifically, I think he was at like under 55 last year. And so to jump from there, which is right around league average up to, you know, when you talk about great high usage scores, 60 is like the golden cutoff. He's right there. So uh, and his, sorry. And like his shooting percentage between three and 10 feet, which accounts for a, a lower share of his shots than last year, but there's still almost 29% of his shots. It spiked by seven percentage points compared to yeah. last season. Yeah. Just there's, I, I, I don't know about you, but I have, I mean, I was, I said some crazy things about Evan Mobley last year. Um, and like, I have, if anything, I'm more optimistic this year. So I don't understand the narrative that, that he's disappointing or, or, you know, he's like a, the, the numbers don't support the, all the optimism around his. I feel facility. like people have like Bam at a bio PTSD and Bam at a bio has been like thermonuclear AF lately. He, so that's not, but there's like good. not all the metrics love him. I look at Evan Mobley as a, different type of player in the sense that one i trust him as more of a rim protector than maybe i would bam and i think there's more of a i don't know what the word is is it directionality again there's there's like more of just a there's an un, more of an unpredictability to evan mobley's offense it feels like he could be more fluid on the ball and might actually be more aggressive in time at points than bam is going to be the better passer i think that's going to be maybe not but i don't want to put a ceiling on mobley but I do think there's a similar case here where they do so many things also defensively and even offensively, by the way, which is moving through tight spaces. Mm -hmm. uh, and Jared Allen does a good job of this too. When you are playing with two bigs, like being able to operate in a bunch of different ecosystems that maybe aren't conducive to the traditional setup of what your game is, especially when you're not taking threes, um, but that, and then just the breadth of responsibility he covers on defense. There are just things that are going to be tough to quantify. And so if let's just say his outcome is, a Bam at a bio type player, there's no way, shape, or form is that disappointing. Yeah, I think just the last thing on him, I, I think like sometimes you know, you say a guy's just scratch like with respect to him offensively in particular, you sometimes you say a guy's just oh, he's just scratching the surface of of what he's gonna be. And sometimes that's almost like a concession that like, man, he kind of sucks at this right now. Hopefully he'll get better. But sometimes, and this is the case with Mobley, you say that because you know, once or twice a game, he'll do something at the elbow with the ball. That's like, there's no fucking way a guy that size should be able to like turn, pivot, assess, like make the right drive, pass, shoot decision 
really quickly in the flow of the offense in ways that the defense is not prepared for. Like it's processing speed. And it's, it's also like the physical ability to do any of those things, depending on what the situation calls for. And he will do that. This is again, sorry, it's eye test, but like he will do that occasionally. And it doesn't feel like, Oh, well that was out of character. It's more like, man, when he does that all the time, like it's over. So that the surface scratching thing for him is, is still admittedly probably the most tantalizing aspect, but it's not, it's not speculative. It's like, that's, it's coming. Like that's going that's to happen really all the time, as opposed to, well, if he could only do that more often, it's like, no, he will. That That's, that's kind of my, that's the Evan Mobley take for me in a nutshell. I have one more. Do you have one more, right? Or did you burn through all yours? I can't even remember. Oh yeah. I got another one. Go ahead. Um, so I'll give you this one really quickly. Hot or not, the Sacramento Kings have an above-average defense. Not statistically at the moment, which they technically do, but the Sacramento Kings defense is above average. Like, will be above average. Yeah. So that's too hot. Um, the Right now, they're 18th. I'm looking on cleaning the glass. Um, but I do – I want to say I should have looked this up. I guess I can look this up as I'm vamping a little bit. Um, they have. I, I mean, think- they're up there over, like, recent stretches. They are – well, like fifth, so, they're sixth, excuse me, in points allowed per possession over their last 12 games. So my hesitation with them is, is really just like, who's the good defender on this team? Like, I, like I just, it's, it's tough. Like who's the guy that's going to fuel. And usually this is a big guy. And Sabonis is not that guy. Like we've, we've, the sample size is real big. The Sabonis is just not, you know, he's a really good offensive player. I think, I think that's also like the sample size is big enough where that should not be remotely controversial and Mm. potentially is even a really good offensive player in a playoff scenario, but just defensively, he's not long enough. He doesn't get off the floor. He doesn't move well enough. Like a switch involving him is like, it's just a big blinking red light that every team is going to attack in games that matter. So that's a problem. I think I've always wished that De'Aaron Fox you know, could put the tools to use defensively because he's so fast and he's long and he anticipates well, but, and he's been better. Yeah. His ball like, containment has been a lot better this year. What's that? His ball containment has been a lot better this yeah. year. I thought potentially like in his first and second year that this was going to be a guy that would just like lead the league in steals, you, you know, would be all over the, would be like a DeJounte Murray type defender. Like I thought that that was mm-hmm. very much in the cards. I don't, I just, I don't know if that's going to happen. So here's what I was trying to get to. So, if you're going to make the case that this is not a hot take, you look at their location-based effective field goal percentage allowed, which is sixth in the league right now. So it's just like they're giving up the right shots. And that's kind of a hallmark of a Mike Brown defense is they're going to, they might get some things wrong, but they'll force you to take mid-rangers. They're going to keep you from shooting a lot of threes and they're going to keep you out of the paint as much as they can with the personnel they have. So there's like, there's some, there's some like undergirding to like an average defense potentially but all that is kind of undone by what I think is just the personnel just isn't, this isn't a team with the with the players to defend. So, you know, if they, if they stick where they are 17 or 18, I forget what it is, what it was just a second ago, and they're going to be this good offensively, then that's great. But again, I just think it's way more likely that they're, you know, down in the twenties, maybe bottom five defensively by the end of the year. So I, I can't get there with average. That's too hot. I think it's probably a little too hot because I'm thinking more in playoff terms. 
that this feels like a defense that could be picked apart during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I do think that they take care of, I don't want to call it just low hanging fruit, but they do enough of the fundamentals that it wouldn't shock me if like, yeah, they're 14, 12, like 16, whatever for the regular season. Um, they end possessions with their defensive rebounding. Um, they are fourth in points allowed per possession after a made shot. So like he has them getting back. Mm-hmm. They're also second in points allowed per possession after committing a turnover. And so like getting back is a huge part of the battle. This is not a defense is mostly effort rant. I, I do think that they've gotten good minutes this year from Harrison Barnes is getting better. Like I said, De'Aaron Fox has improved. Um, Kevin Herter has been better. I think just because he's bigger like than mm-hmm. people realize. Um, I said Terrence Davis already. Davion Mitchell can be like, I don't know what he's supposed to be on offense, but he's, he's a blanket. That's um, the answer to who's their good defender that I just grossly overlooked is, I mean, he's at least like impactful. I think he's a little too small to really make a difference on most, most opponents that, you know, you'd have to guard if he's like playing with Fox, for example, or, or whatever, or Malik Monk, you know, there's a lot of, there's too many fires for like a six foot, six foot one backup guard to put out for that to really matter. But that's just in deference to him. Like he's a monster on the ball. It would suck to be guarded by that guy. And so, but like what you said, when you're giving up the right shots, which is not, it's not personnel or luck driven. They're actually during this stretch, opponents are hitting a crap ton of their shots at the rim and from three and from the three point line. But when you're giving up the right looks that helps on top of, okay, well, we're going to end possessions when, when players miss a shot. And then we're also scoring so much on offense that we're going to have time to set up our defense. Mm-hmm. You can overachieve relative to your personnel. And so I, do I buy into them being the sixth best defense? Like they've been over their past 12 games. No, but we can light the beam, I think, on them being a regular season league average defense. Like, I would be shocked if they finished 20th or lower at this point, or bottom 10, 21st or lower. But I do have questions with how it pertains to their playoff defense, because this feels like a team where you're going up against higher level opponents, when they're going to have a series to pick you apart and find your weak points in the half court, that just ending possessions when they miss isn't going to be enough to really get you by. And if your offense ever goes through these tougher slogs, it's going to be harder for you to defend because you, a lot of what they're doing is predicated on, Hey, they're getting their defense, even as good as they've been in transition. It's just, we're getting our defense set. And I will commend them when you go back and watch, by the way, like if they are, when they are committing turnovers, uh, like they are, and like they're hustling back and they've like over this 12 game span, like they've committed a bunch of turnovers. They're like bottom 12 in turnover rate. So they do, Dessert like Mike Brown might be. We haven't talked about this, and it's not just because he might be the favorite to win coach of the year. Oh, at this interesting. Point. Yeah, well, I mean, that's so. By the way, this talk about like, yeah, I think you know, there's a chance it's sustainable through the regular season, it might be okay, but the playoffs, I don't know. You know, the Kings are ecstatic that that's the conversation, now. right. Because it's presupposing that hey, there they're will ecstatic be a that they weren't in the conversation about the most depressing franchise. We just gave it to the Hornets and talked about the Knicks and moved right along. Well, this time a year ago, it probably would have been the Kings, right? Or we would have mentioned them, no question. And that would have For been sure. true any t- the last 15, 20 years. So, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> the Kings are where they want to be, at least with their, you know, that's, that's, there. there's no doubt about that. Them in 2006 taking back Sunday, where you want to be, just. <laughs> <laughs> Who would get that reference? Do you think? What's the um, crossover on? I actually feel like I probably have the year wrong, but uh, <laughs> that wasn't Taking Back Sunday uh, album. What was the final one you had to get us uh, out of here? Real quick, hot or not, the Spurs will bobcat this year. Yeah, they're um, they're bobcatting pretty hard right now, and that's for anyone who doesn't know the reference. Uh, 
it's finishing in dead last in defensive and offensive efficiency, which the Spurs are doing. Actually, I don't even look at the NBA.com ratings. Are they bobcatting relative to NBA.com or is it just cleaning the glass? Uh, I only looked at cleaning the glass. I'm going to look up. They have to be because they're designed to do it without like, they don't need to trade anybody. I think they should like, let's see what you could get for Josh Richardson or Jacoperto. But like they have Devin Vassell, like running a million pick and rolls. Um, and getting a million, and look, he's been good by the way. Uh, it's he's pulled off a little bit, but he's still been worth exploration. And Trey Jones is fine, but like, and Kelly, like, though, you don't have an offensive initiator on this. Who is their best offensive initiator? It's Trey Jones, it's Trey and, Jones. And so, when they when he's missed time, time, is it Devin? Sorry, <laughs> well, when he's missed back? time, I they against the war, I think it was against the Warriors, and they're uh, one, one or two games on either side of that. Jeremy Sohan yeah. is like bringing the ball up. Like it went about as well as you could expect, too. Sure. I saw Which the is, one game, yeah. But my expectations were not high. <laughs> like, he delivered on those. It's just, it's an unfair ask. It's crazy. Like, there's a scenario two years from now where that's really interesting because he can sort of do that stuff. But just, like, the, so the ability to self-sabotage, you know, if they really want to go for the Bobcat, I guess is what I'm saying, is that they have the ability to just, without really benching guys just sort of aligning the rotation in such a way that you're going to play all the best guys you have and it's still just it's going to be real bad they are not bobcatting on nba.com they're they're a whopping super high 29th in offense and 30th in defense you know what is cleaning the glass updated too the hornets are 30th on offense why do i oh i'm looking at okay so but they're they're coming pretty close to bobcatting so do you think they will I think they I think will. So I think the momentum right now is like is just the downward momentum is is irreversible and is going to accelerate it because it's just like I think the Pistons would like to just be a little better and not be terrible and the Rockets play re- like I said play really hard. Orlando is just better than five and twenty. Just right. like they've been destroyed by injuries. Even if it's young guys and guys we don't really like, that's still the case. The Spurs just—it's just the arrows down, and and they want it to go that way. And it's real easy for them to keep it headed that direction. And look, if they get—not that it would be assured anything—but like Scoot Henderson or Victor Wembanyama would be huge for for this team to get one of yeah. those guys. Let's see. Are we good? Or want us, want me to take us out? Or is there any other ones we didn't get to? No, we hit everything. We'll have the mail actual. Well, you did do one of the mailbag questions in the hot or not phrase from Rome, but that's good. But we'll have more. We'll have an actual mailbag again um, next week. But this was this was a fun, instructive exercise as always, and I enjoyed some of the ones that you came up with, and I enjoyed you becoming a New Orleans Pelicans convert mid podcast. Um, it's it's done. I can't go back now. If they go on like a, if they have a bad week, I'm gonna be real upset. Um, yeah. So. Everybody, thank you for listening. Uh, these are always fun. Thank you so much for these hot or nots. Uh, they're, like we said last time we did this and with the mailbag stuff, this is always awesome because it keeps us on our toes and we like making content that you guys want to you know, listen to and have discussed. So everybody wins that way. So keep them coming. We'll do these again. Uh, in the meantime, tell all your friends. And if you haven't done it yet, I don't know how you're listening to this, but like, subscribe, uh, comment, do all the things you need to do. Um, follow us on socials. They're on the, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see them on the bottom right. Um, and thank you for listening. Listen next time. We'll have some more of this stuff for you guys. And uh, I'll take us out with an apology to Jared Allen. 
maybe should have. I already apologized to the New Orleans Pelicans. And last but absolutely not least, on behalf of Dan, uh, we give a parting shout out to the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Mr. Frank Milikina. <laughs>